Welcome to episode 24 of Signs, Cosines, and Tangents, Season 2. Electric Boogaloo. Oh, God, I should have known. <laughs> That's why you set me up with this intro. Oh, it like, was It's your too... turn to do the intro. I'm going to trick you. It was too easy. Yeah, well, that's what she said. Wait. So. Yeah? We're here. We are. We're back. So we're rolling into season two. For those of you who have um, content-aware podcast players, you'll see that this is separated from the last 23 and a, and a half episodes. Well, I guess 23 and one, right? Because we had the bonus episode. Yeah. Um, but this is the beginning of our 2018, in earnest, 2018 shows. We did our wrap-up in January. We took a few weeks off, did a live show, and now we're back. What are we doing? Uh, we're doing the same thing that we started nearly a year ago. We did. It was the 17th of March, actually, which is a week from today, I think. Yeah. Well, tomorrow. Yeah, this, right. Yeah. It's a week from Sunday. Yeah. Um, so... If you've stuck around for all 25 episodes at this point, congratulations. You get a gold sticker. Make sure you mail in your proof of purchase um, to P.O. Box 123, Gahanna, Ohio. You know, I used to know what that P.O. Box that was on all of those mail-in things, because it was always like in like Peoria, Illinois, or someplace like that. Um, that was- Schenectady. Schenectady, that's New York. Schenectady. Schenectady. Yeah. That's a funny word. It is. I wonder what its origin is. What's its entomology? Uh, okay, Google. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, so let's roll right into our tangents, Jared. Enough small talk. Nobody comes here for the small talk. They come here for the show. They do? Or is the show the small talk? I'm honestly not why sure why people do come here. You know, starting out by insulting our audience probably isn't the best idea. I'm not insulting them. I just want to know. Oh, well, that's, I guess, a fair question. Why are we all here? Why are you here? How did we get here? Why are we here? That's a great, great question, Sean. So why don't you kick off the tangents this week? Oh, absolutely. So we've got quite a few tangents this week. First off, actually, you're going to end up starting them off because I didn't watch the show. Um, Of course not. We're checking in with Because it wasn't Nintendo show, right? (sighs) It begins. It begins. <laughs> a new year, new insults. So uh, we're starting off the show with a, a recap of a show that you watched. Wow, that that uh, took like way too long to explain. What show is that? Star Trek Discovery. Star Trek Discovery. Yes, I did watch that show. And why are we talking about it? Uh, we're checking in with you to see how the season ended. So the season ended in kind of a mess, in my opinion. Um, it had been getting better, right? We, we checked in, I think we've talked about it in some of the last few episodes, just in passing. The, the show started out kind of, uh, as a dumpster fire with lots of really flashy special effects and some characters that we may or may not have cared about who kept dying and coming back and dying and then getting mirrored. And at the end of it, uh, I, I, they got a second season. It's the most popular streaming show on the CBS network. And and I will probably watch season two, but frankly, it left me kind of in a bad place. Like, the last shot of the last episode is a spoiler. Oh, well, I, do we want to go ahead and spoil it? 
I don't know. Should we? Um, I don't know. I like spoilers. You so, like spoilers. So let's go ahead and spoil it. Hold on. We're gonna spoil something. Okay. So, spoiler warning is out. And I, you yeah. know, I'm so, trying not to spoil things. So at the end but... of the, uh, the last episode, the Discovery comes upon a very familiar ship. Yes, it's called the Enterprise under Captain Pike. What? That's right, because this is four years prior. Uh, Five years? Actually, well... Ten years. So there's a time jump a little bit in the TV show, the first season of Star Trek Discovery, which is that they go to the Mirror Universe and then they come back and then like nine months have gone by. So it's still, it's not, it's like seven and a half, maybe eight years before we join Kirk and he's newly on in charge of the Enterprise. Except there's one problem with this. Oh, and and let me mention, this last episode is them going to get a new captain for the Discovery because the person who's been the captain of Discovery the whole season, again, spoiler, was actually a Mirror Universe person and he's dead. So they're taking the Discovery to Vulcan to pick up a new captain. Hmm. Except, so it means Sarek's on the ship because he's going to get a ride home. He's hitchhiking. And, you know, Michael Burnham, his adoptive son-daughter, um, she's there as the, she gets reinstated back into Starfleet. Basically, the reset button is hit at the end of the season. She's reinstated as a lieutenant commander. She saved the Federation single-handedly with her magic powers and the Enterprise shows up after an alert at the very end, last scene. And the two characters who have a relationship to Spock look at each other like, oh, we're going to see Spock, who we've not mentioned this entire season. Because everybody knows who Spock is and our relationship to him. But we never actually talk about his, our relationship to him because we act as though he doesn't exist. Until then. So this is their way of bringing in some of the more of the continuity and yeah. More. And it, it is a classic looking constitution class enterprise. So it looks pretty much like the TV show, mm-hmm. um, slightly updated for special effects and all that. But it, it, now we've got this huge, huge gap in my mind because we've got these ultra slick futuristic model designs for the Shenzhou and the, and the other ships that were destroyed at the beginning of the season. And then you see an old class constitution and and it's the Enterprise and it looks like Enterprise did at the beginning of Star Trek and it just visually is kind of jarring. Hmm. So the idea of, look, we just updated all of the visuals. You should ignore all that because we didn't have the money to do it back in the 60s. Answer doesn't make sense now because they've introduced the Enterprise and it looks like the Enterprise. So... Anyway, um, so are you hopeful for season two? I don't know what to think about season two. I I don't know whether I care or not. I will watch it because it's Star Trek and I'm kind of committed to it at this point. But I don't know how I feel about it. And this is weeks after seeing the last episode and I'm still kind of torn. Right. Um, to me, it feels like they did this episodic storytelling, the serial storytelling. There's been a lot of news lately from Les Moonves, who's the president of CBS Paramount, talking about the only reason they were able to do a serial story is because it was on a streaming platform. Otherwise, they would have done one more 
bottle type episodes like they did with the the most of the Star Trek series. Right. And, you know, obviously Deep Space Nine was very serialized, but it still kind of had bottle episodes. This didn't have any bottle episodes. So, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, it's it's one of those to be determined. I'd love to hear what our listeners think if they did watch all the way through. You know, did you like where they went with Discovery? Is it a show that you're actually looking forward to while they're filming it over the next year? Um, again, I, I know you haven't watched it. You watched the first, what, two episodes? Uh, three, but yeah. Yeah, and then you were like, eh, whatever. Pretty much. <laughs> so... Okay. Let us know what you guys think. Yeah, let us know. Moving on to something that's a little more my uh, niche. Uh, niche is very much true. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Calm down, sir. I'm not attacking you. I'm just confirming what you just said. Mega Man. We we're getting 19 games this year. Yeah. <laughs> Mega Man <laughs> Yeah, not one new game, hopefully. Yeah, one, but- one new one, but then 18... Uh, so, we got an announcement date for Legacy Collection on the Switch. Yep. It's May 22nd. It's, it's a all-in-one bundle, so to speak. So, it's both versions? You're getting Legacy 1 and Legacy 2. Okay. Um, I think they're going to be sold separately digitally, but they're being sold as one at retail, and they're doing the Bayonetta thing where half of it's physical, and you're getting a download code for the second one. Okay. Which I don't know what the limitation is for this. Well, is it just a cost savings thing? Yeah, because I don't think it's storage. I mean, these aren't huge games, right? Um, even if they're wrapped in an emulator or anything like that, it, I think the download on the PS4 and the Xbox One they're, they're not that big. They're not that big compared to modern games. So anyhow, May. Yeah. What? Well, no, I'm just thinking about this whole approach that Nintendo's been doing with the in Bayonetta. I knew what I was getting when I bought it. Right. But I was kind of shocked that they didn't put both games on the cart. Physical carts? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I honestly don't know if it's really that much money saving. I mean, uh, with Bayonetta 2 for the Wii, the Wii U, I'm sorry. Um, when it first came out, there was mm-hmm. a disc for both games. But then they re-released it with only just two and a download for one. Hmm. So I don't know if there's a physical, but I mean, with this, is there, is there a limitation from putting two games on one cart? Maybe they'd have to write an entire interface to switch between them. And that would and be maybe painful. That's, or, yeah. I don't, know. I don't know. It just, it, it, it seems like a weird thing. It is. So anyhow, moving on, uh, Marvel's infinity war, the Avengers, the infinity war Yeah, is moved up a week well, and here's the creepy thing so there's not enough hype for this film right we barely heard anything about it nobody's talking about it i mean it's you only going to have like what three actors from the, yeah, the film three major actors and they may not even survive the film yeah. and they're probably going to be in for like three minutes there each. was a trailer quickie sent out yesterday for a 50 day countdown to this film 50 day countdown yeah i guess they're counting on it being big I think it's going to be pretty big. Maybe maybe not like... Uh, Black Panther big? Black Panther big. Maybe not like Jaws big. Or, or uh, Star Wars. Or Back to the Future 3. Or maybe... Ooh. um, um, What's that movie? Yeah, Trains always bring him My in. Cousin Vinny. I don't know if it's going to be that big. The two Utes? <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, Joanna, the two Utes in question. Yeah, this is coming out three days after my birthday, so I'm kind of excited. 
but so's God of War. That's coming PS4. out. Yeah. So you're gonna have a you're gonna be torn. Do you do you go into God of War or do you care about Infinity War? You have to pick which war you want to fight. Oh, good point. I have to pick a war because I mean they're not obviously... a battlefield, mind no. you. You usually pick battlefields, but in this case, you're picking a war. Oh my gosh, I don't know the war for Jared's attention. Yeah, a two-hour movie compared to a forty-hour game. I don't think it's going to be forty hours. Twenty-hour game. I don't think it's going to be twenty hours. Twelve-hour game. I think you're about right. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not to say it won't be a great twelve hours. So have they moved up many big blockbuster releases like? No, this? it generally doesn't happen. If um, anything, something gets delayed. And from what I've heard and what I've read. Uh, there was a lot of, you know, they have a lot of strong faith that, you know, the April date moving a little bit earlier gives it some more breathing room because there's another movie opening up right around that time that they were worried about stealing box office from. Meaning they would lose box office because of that film. And that film is actually Deadpool 2. Really? What day is that release? Uh, I don't remember off the top of my head. Uh, but that was the whole reason for why they decided to move Infinity War. They're huh. like, well, we can cannibalize Deadpool 2. And, and between you and I, I think it's because Disney now owns the Fox Studios. Yeah. So they don't want to steal money from themselves, even though the two films have, I think, pretty distinctly different audiences. Or the well, same or audience. Or same audiences that we're going to see them regardless. Yeah. I, um, maybe they just want to hit before the quarter. I'm going to give it longer play time. I mean, when you make a move like this, that's changing a lot of contracts in Hollywood. Yeah. I mean, you've got screenings booked in these theaters, and, and we've already heard enough about how Disney's kind of gotten aggressive about how uh, projection houses and theaters can you know, display and how long they can run their films and how many showings. And so I wonder if there's some of that you know, jiggery-pokery going on in the background. Or maybe they just anticipate it's going to be so big that they need an extra week of runtime and they're putting it in the front. Hmm. I don't know. You, hmm. you tell us. Well, we'll see. Won't we? But this next, next tangent is near and dear to my heart. And one that I don't know that you care about at all. Um, I'm kind of excited, but you, you go into it. We, as of, I believe it was today or yesterday as we're recording this podcast, uh, Neverwinter Nights Enhanced Edition has a release date. And this is kind of a surprise. So Neverwinter Nights, for those who are under the age of like 20, 25, or were never PC gamers, was Bioware's sequel to the Baldur's Gate games. And it was meant to be the first D&D where you could actually use it to run completely digital Dungeons and Dragons games with sound effects and monsters and rules and all of that. So one of the big advantages of Neverwinter Nights is that when they gave you the game with its campaign, they gave you what they called the Dungeon Master's Toolkit, which would allow you to dynamically, in live, real time, run a Dungeons and Dragons game with your friends over the internet. So just like with the Baldur's Gate games, which got redone in recent years and updated with new technology to run on modern PCs, Beamdog, which is a studio comprised of a lot of former Bioware employees, licensed the ability to bring Neverwinter Nights up to modern standards. And they kind of launched this, I think we talked about it in one of the previous episodes, but this has only been known about for like two or three months. And when they did the Baldur's Gate reveal, when they were going to do Baldur's Gate Extended Edition or enhanced edition, they gave, there was like a year and a half gap 
between when they announced it and when it came out. This is like five months. And I've been watching a lot of their um, streams that they do on Twitch when they talk about the game and they talk about redeveloping and all the things they're cleaning up. And it seemed to me like we would be looking at this next year or the year later. And it seems like either they found a magic, you know, source code that would allow them to fix everything and make it modern and work well, or they've been working on this longer than we know. That's the only thing I can figure. But come March 27th, we can all rebuy Neverwinter Nights again. All of us. You will. All of us. You must. Okay. Whatever you say. I trust you. Speaking of rebuys. Yeah. Um. So there's been this rumor, and uh, it's not official yet, but... Diablo 3 is coming to Switch. Of course it is. Everything's coming to Switch. That's My wife reminds me, not everything has to come out for Switch, Jared. And they <laughs> So, interestingly, there's a rumor that Neverwinter Nights Enhanced Edition is coming to the Switch. Interesting. That's how crazy the, it's coming to the Switch rumors are getting these yeah. days. That's not a game I would ever think would ever be on the Switch, personally. There's, there's been a couple where I didn't think they would, but... They did. Pillars of Eternity, the new Pillars of Eternity game, yeah. is going to be on the Switch. I, I, I'm i blown away by this. But Diablo, let's talk about Diablo. So Blizzard tweeted a literal Diablo light switch, right? Turning on and off. Just mm-hmm. imagine like a, a wall light switch. And the only thing they said about it was sweet dreams. So speculation went rampant that Diablo was coming to Switch. Now, Blizzard's come out since then saying, whoa, 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 calm down. We're not announcing anything. It's just a light switch. But there's been, I think, Eurogamer uh, Eurogamer reported Mm -hmm. on it that Diablo is definitely in the works. Well, and there's been job postings recently. Um, And people watch in the industry, you know, a lot of the games folks watch to see James postings at major studios. And one of them kind of hinted at Switch development for Blizzard games. Pardon me. And so one of the questions really is, is there Diablo 3 coming? Is it, could it be Heroes of the Storm? You know, could it be any of the Blizzard games could be there? But what makes the most sense? What do you think? I I think Diablo, I mean, again, it was made for consoles. Uh, It was. It was perfected on consoles, actually. I I'm gonna go in with saying they went in with a console mindset with making that game. I I would agree. And at launch, it was not good. I mean, there's just a lot. They took the Diablo sort of customization and made it very. You could tell when the game came out for just PC that they were gonna launch on console. And they that, did. And the console version actually is plays better. Pretty awesome. Yeah. Um. So will Blizzard come out with other games in the Switch? I don't know. I don't think we're going to see StarCraft 2 with could uh, Joy-Con controls anytime soon. But Overwatch? <sighs> That's a big one where I think that the, the Switch isn't up to the task. Really? Of, of the, uh, the... The visuals? Even, even the visuals, yeah. You'd have to potato it down a little bit? I think it'd be too potatoed to be fun. Okay. Um, you know, I think it's a game where people want and need 60 frames a second. And uh, I don't think anybody needs 60 frames a second. I think eh. they desire it. I don't know. It, it'll be interesting. I think I think Diablo 3 is that perfect mix of grab a Joy-Con, a Joy-Con split screen, you know. Well, I you don't split it. screen yeah, with Diablo. I thought you could. Nope. 
Well, anyhow, you can play four people on the same console. <laughs> yeah, four people on the same screen. You don't split yeah. screen it. But anyhow, you know what I mean. Just here's a Joy-Con. I think there's enough. No, we do it all the time at the buttons house. Buttons on the Joy-Con to support that. Yeah, you. I mean, you need four buttons yeah. and movement sticks. Yeah. So and you get triggers. So yeah, I mean, there's no problem. Yeah. So I I think it's gonna happen. I asked Sean. You know, will he buy it again? I said I would, and he said uh, Diablo through Diablo three is like his Skyrim two point He already owns five versions. So. I do. I honestly do. Yeah, um, uh, I've got the PS three version. I've got the PS four version. I bought two versions of the PS four version so I could play it on two different consoles. Uh, I've got three copies on PC. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'll buy it you're again. Pre- you're pretty good. You're pretty good for right now. So I just need it on the Switch so I can play it. You know, on a plane. On a plane. There you go. In the bathtub. In the bath. Whoa. That's getting a little weird. Anyhow. Not a shower. So, bathtub. Uh, <laughs> we talked about the Infinity War. Yep. But the last movie that takes place before the Infinity War um, debuted last month. Well, and boy, did it debut. Actually, as of yesterday, Black Panther, which is the film we're talking about, made over a billion dollars in theaters worldwide. That's billion with a B. B B B B. I'm well. I mean, I can't even think about. So I mean, we heard before this movie came out that it was going to be big. Oh yeah, but we didn't know anything about it. I mean, we we the, saw a couple trailers. Because the marketing wasn't all that great. Um, but we really didn't know where they were going to take this story and what it was going to be. And uh, boy. I want more movies like this. I I loved it. It I, was it was nonstop. I, there wasn't a character in the film who I thought there's a side character. Right. You didn't. It didn't suffer from that Marvel. They're just the Jane Foster tag along group. <laughs> Mew 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 Mew. <laughs> Every character was amazing. The villain was sympathetic, totally well fleshed out. Yeah. Um. I think he was probably one of the best villains that Marvel has put on the screen. Yeah. And as far as you understand, he's almost, and I'm going to, this is probably going to be controversial for me to say this. He's almost like a Marvel Netflix villain. Yeah. Where Marvel Netflix has traditionally done a much better job handling the villains because they have a longer story format. Well, and not only that, the Marvel, other than the Madame Gells of the world, but they're, they're not black or white. They're in this gray area where yeah. you see them making decisions you, they're, they're not outright evil. No, they're not mustache twirling like Hela is a mustache twirling evil. Yeah. Loki is mischievous evil. You know, and Loki up until now, I think was probably one of the best villains that they'd shown. Right. But this villain in this film, Killmonger, was absolutely the most relatable, understandable villain. He's doing what he's doing for a reason, and he's driven. And you kind of had to sit back and go, yeah, I could see that. I understand why he has this animosity and why he's driven to do the things he does in this film. And at the same time, you sense, you know, Hero's only as good as their villain. You know, T'Challa, we who we got a good piece of in Civil War, the the way they portray him in this film doesn't diminish him at all. It actually expands him in ways that I didn't think we would get. Um the one criticism I've heard is that they kind of do this back and forth with stripping of his powers and giving him new powers and stripping his powers. And they do that maybe one time too many in the film or killing him or not killing him. And, 
you know, kind of tearing down his kingdom. But at the end, the thing I thought was the most optimistic was that Wakanda stands kind of together and whole and strong. Um, the I had no problem with the villain's motivations. I did have some problem with kind of the secondary villain and why he completely seemed to go from best friend of the king to the guy who wants to stand on his head and, and push him underwater. Yeah, they they make him seem like he's their best friends from childhood. and But I think they did that better than you think because... Yeah, I need his, to see it again. It was his father who died right. uh, it, early on with Killmonger's father because mm-hmm. he stood to protect... Um, well, his father actually, yes, he died because of Claw, which was something that right. um, T'Challa's father's brother, who was Killmonger's father, God, that was m- kind of confusing to say, yeah. but it's really not. Um, when he tries to get Vibranium out of Wakanda to kind of share some of this with the world, they pick the wrong guy. Right. right. They pick Claw, and Claw's not a good guy. We've seen Claw in Age of Ultron. And I have to say, Andy Serkis took that character... I mean, he was only in the the film for, what, the third or maybe a half? Yeah, he, he, well, not even a half. I think he's... But yeah. even when he was on screen, I mean, he was the classic, just And chaotic, you think he's the bad guy that they're setting up. Yeah, the chaotic evil sort of just in it for, for himself. Fun and for himself. And, yeah, and a little crazy and, you know, definitely kind of mustache twirling. Which we set up in Ultron, right? Right. Uh, so seeing all of this and then the story about if you have great prosperity and technology and you can lift up your fellow man, why wouldn't you? Is really the ultimate question that this movie asks. You know, because we've set up this Wakanda that's afraid to tell the rest of the world. That it's a utopia, that essentially. It, because effectively, if you get much bigger than they are, they, they realize we wouldn't be a utopia. Right. And so we see the sea change in methodology and thinking in this film that I think is setting up Infinity War pretty well. Because we know Infinity War is going to take place at least a good portion of it in Wakanda. So I'm, I'm really interested to see where this goes, but the movie stands alone. It doesn't, you don't need to have seen Civil War to really understand what's going on. It's probably one of the least serial of all the Marvel films recently. Yeah, I don't think it's, it didn't throw all those uh oh remember when this happened in the last movie i mean other than his father dying which, which is promotes a, him to king which is important but and everett agent everett yeah from, you know which the, we get to see him in a much different light than we did in civil war yeah um kind of redeems the character where yeah, you think he's, he's not, just a so, functionary but he's not he's not just this you know black suit government guy um yeah i I don't know what to say about this movie other than I, I I didn't know what I was expecting and I got three times more than what I wasn't. I don't know how to say this, but uh, we yeah. got a Game of Thrones sort of political, you know, kingdom. And they weren't afraid to battle. subvert expectations on that either. Um, we got spaceships <laughs> flying across Earth with the technology side, sort of this neo-futuristic Earth. Mm-hmm. Um with I mean the set design and everything on that front was great. And then you have giant rhinoceroses covered in armor. Armor. Yeah. <laughs> I mean out of nowhere. And it was just it was absolutely fantastic. And again, like I said, every character in the film is really 
awesome. Well developed. They they have an internal logic and consistency. Uh, and if what the, was the the monks that guarded the purple or the heart shaped purple flower? What's uh, the actor's name? Uh, Forrest Whitaker. I don't generally like him as an actor. But you didn't like him in Star Wars Rogue One? <sighs> no. <laughs> but I saw Guerrero. I thought he did a really good job in this film, too. Yeah, he did. Forrest Whitaker is an amazing actor. He really yeah. is. He sometimes doesn't take the best parts. I, yeah, I think that's it. Um, and I don't think that Saw Guerrero was a great part because it was so modified through the editing of Rogue One. Right. But that was something I also I, I kind of started to see in this film is we're starting to see some of the same actors in other franchises that Disney owns playing major characters in this one. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's kind of interesting seeing these crossover characters. The other thing is, and I'll, so Michael B. Jordan did an amazing job. So he's finally, he's the second human torch to be redeemed with a better character. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) The the Marvel cinematic universe. The Marvel Cinematic Universe is redeeming human torches. <laughs> yeah, haven't had a great track record with the rest of the Fantastic Four, but at least Human Torch goes on to very bright things. Yes, yes. Um, and then the other thing is that if there's a character that steals the show, it's absolutely Shuri. Absolutely. I- and, and you know, she they have fun. There's none of the dour kind of grimdark stuff we've been seeing in the DC bo- movies, and there's not a lot of weight and darkness, even though this is a, a movie about a guy living through the loss of his father, who was a great king in his eyes, and then starting to realize that maybe he wasn't as great a king as he thought until he comes around full circle and goes, a great king isn't necessarily a great man. Because right. sometimes as a king, you have to make choices. Right. And so T'Challa's story is all about, I'm going to be both. Right. Right. I'm going to be a good king, but I'm also going to be a good man. And I'm going to do the right thing for people. Not just my people, but all people. And that, that second scene where T'Challa goes back to the the plane of souls, or I don't know what they yeah, call Yeah, the it. ancestors. The ancestors. And he sees all the prior Black Panthers, kings of Wakanda. And, you know, he... It's a, it's a very emotional scene, and I was crying in this film. It was, I it mean, was I, so well done, and he and the challenges. Story, I mean, he he essentially challenges his the, father, the history, and, and, and the father, yeah. and and the kingdoms of of old. Of and there's a very important story in this film about fathers and sons. Yes, not fathers and children, but fathers and sons specifically. Right, and I. It affected me watching the film a few times. So I, I loved it. I, I definitely want to see it again. I haven't had an opportunity. Yeah, but, me too. Um, so. If you haven't seen Black Panther, and it doesn't sound like many of you haven't because it made $1 billion, uh, go see it. Yeah, I think, again, Marvel keeps doing new things. With I mean, they keep reinventing the wheel. I mean, Thor Ragnarok was not on this level of emotion and depth, but it was fun, but which we had kind of took Thor who was trying to be that level of emotion and depth. And yeah, you know, same, same concept, you know, son, King, father, etc. But just threw it out the window, (laughs) just kind of said, you know what? You're an eighties futuristic Viking. I mean, and, and went that route and it worked. Absolutely. So, And Guardians has got its own... So we're seeing a lot more humor in those two films, and there was plenty of humor in this, but we actually got some emotional weight. 
Yeah, yeah, there, it wasn't, like Sean said, like, it never felt like just this down, dark thing that the, and I, I've watched since, I'm not going to watch the movie, but I've watched scenes from Justice League oh, God. on YouTube, and <laughs> it it seems so forced with what they did with that film, trying yes. to insert the humor and... Yeah. There's no chemistry for most of those characters in that yeah. film. So anyhow, go see it. We both highly recommend it. And uh, oh, oh, and do not buy Justice League on digital. Whatever you do, <laughs> don't do it. Not related to the review, but just no, no. Warning. I think it's the lesson we get from this movie. Oh yeah, is that Justice League is a waste of your time, and do not watch it. Watch a movie like this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, moving on. Yes, or backwards, depending on where you think about it. Uh, this is yours, buddy. So this is so Final Fantasy 15. Final Fantasy Boy Band was released for the PC last week, and they released the Royal Edition uh, for the consoles, which means that all, all of the, the DLC, D- all the DLC plus some extra stuff, the redone last chapter, some side story stuff that wasn't in it. So when you say redone last chapter, they've actually made the last third of the game better. Yes. Oh yeah. Well, I don't know yet. I haven't gotten there. Okay. But the story is that that has been all improved and enhanced. And now there's, here's the other thing. This, this game is close to a year and a half, almost two years old now. Yeah. It took, you know, 16 years to make, and they're definitely putting all the energy and effort into it that they can, because there's more DLC coming this year. More? Yes. So we're going to see stuff at E3 with expansions or something? So whether they're paid expansions or not is unclear. Uh, for those of us who bought into Final Fantasy XV when it first came out on the PS4 or the Xbox, uh, you will not be getting the royal content for free. You have to buy it, even if you had a season pass, which that irks me a little bit. But this is almost two years into the life of the game. I'm okay with them asking for a little bit more money. If it's good, it doesn't matter. If it sucks, then... Well, and there's something that I don't think we've talked about on the show, which is they introduced an entire multiplayer game based in Final Fantasy XV for free. Really? Yeah, it's called uh, Comrades, and you it's got a character generator, and you do missions, and so that's bundled with the Royal Edition. All of the episodes for the other three characters, Gladius, Ignis, and Prompto, come on the disc... Uh, there's some extra content around Luna that fills out her story a bit. And then they've revised the final chapter and added an entirely new dungeon, too. So if you're somebody who really loved Final Fantasy 15, you already own it. I would say the Royal Edition is definitely worth a consideration for a DLC upgrade. Even if you had the season pass, you're not going to get it for free. Okay. And that's probably, and, and again, they haven't to my knowledge, come out and said, they've got at least two more episodes that they want to release. One of which is around the game's main protagonist, or antagonist, the bad guy with the purple hair. And then the other one is supposedly where you'll get to play through Luna's side of the story. Because so much of this game is focused on Noctis and his tale, there's a question of what was Luna doing after she escaped and eventually meets up with them. So they're going to fill in some more of that side story. Uh, so if you're a fan of Final Fantasy 15 and you're questioning whether the Royal Edition upgrade is is something you want to do, it absolutely is. If you're a PC player who was wondering, you know, when they were going to port over a poor version of Final Fantasy 15 to their to the PC, you're going to be surprised because it's 
really a good version of Final Fantasy 15. It doesn't feel like a port. It's visually beautiful. You can get a download high-res pack if you've got a 1080 with a lot of RAM. The thing will just soar in 4K. So, absolutely worth a buy. High recommendation from me. Will you ever even play this game, Jared? Eventually. I no, still you need won't. To, I still need to finish Final Fantasy 12 and 13 and 13-2 and Lightning Returns. No, you don't. I don't have to. You don't have to finish any of those. Final Fantasy 12 is good. 12 is good. I, I, I will agree with you there. I bought Zodiac Age just like yeah, you so did. Yeah, so did I. So, I will play them. I, I haven't dived delved into an RPG in a while. I just can't see you spending the time it's going to take to play these games. I do. I will say once every two years I will pick up an RPG and just that's what I do. We were just talking about uh, Project Octopath or Octopath Traveler. Octopath Traveler. And yeah. uh, even though they were on the 3DS I did Bravely Default a few years ago is whenever that came out. I mean that's a at least a that's 40 a, hour RPG. Yeah it's a 40 to a 60 hour um, game. You didn't play Persona 5 though, did you? No. See, I would put Persona 5 in front of these. I, I and when I play games I might, but again, that's a whole other issue. Yeah. I just, I, well, and you're always going to have the next game that you want to play and there's going to be something coming on the Switch every other week for you, yeah. so. Persona 5 on the Switch though. I don't know that you'll get that. Never say no. You might get another Persona game on the Switch. I yeah, didn't already say the next one is coming on the Switch. Yeah, but I don't think you'll get Persona 5. Anyhow, I don't want to reboot this conversation about me playing games. Oh, that's because you're not Marvel Comics. Oh. Who are rebooting the Marvel Universe again. Yeah. Only six months after they rebooted it the last time. And then there was the whole Battle World, which was like, what, a year or two A year ago? and a half ago. I, I don't... <sighs> Marvel can't seem to figure out what to do with their comic books. Their movies are bringing in bank. And they, they went through that thing over the last 10 years where they wanted to make the comics more like the movies. And uh, the comic audience is like, no, no, leave we us alone. comics that look like comics. Yeah. And they lost uh, Brian Michael Bendis, who's to, going over who's to DC. going over to DC to do Superman. Yeah. And, and we've talked about this before. I Since Rebirth on the DC side, and, and that was the last DC reboot, right? New 52 happened a few years ago. Lots of us didn't like where they went with it. Outside of Batman. Uh, Batman kind of is Batman no matter how you reboot him. Right. Right. And then you Batman got lost in time and, you know, anyway. Like you do. If you're Batman, I guess. Uh, so. Oh, you're you're thinking, I'm I'm saying Batman after New 52. Oh, okay. With, so you're talking. The run from uh, the Court of Owls, all those runs from. Uh, so the, yes. Those the, were all good. Those are all, those are good. And a lot of that got carried into Rebirth. Yeah. Uh, Rebirth has been amazing the last two years. I mean, they really have done a great job to kind of rehabilitate the DC comics and, and bring some new blood and some new excitement into it. Marvel has tried the same thing three times in two years. And well, well they've tried everything with the, the new Avengers and sort of replacing the status quo of who the Avengers are. Yeah, and the X-Men Avengers with blend. Jane, Jane Foster replacing Thor, Odin's son, and Sam, well, and they had this, Sam Wilson replacing Cap. All and, this huge diversity, which yeah. I love diverse characters. We've talked about this in the past. The idea, like Black Panther. I love Black Panther. I like Black Lightning, actually. And we've not talked about that TV show at all, I don't think. Uh, but you know, these are great characters that work in the context of how they were designed and, and evolved and have, have grown. I think forcing 
a diverse version of a traditionally white character is often problematic uh, because it subverts and it causes angst with those who are huge fans of the original version of the character. And I think that that has caused some of the sales disruption that we've seen on the Marvel side. I don't know why Marvel hasn't done what DC's done with the Earth-1 sort of stories. So DC has Earth-1 and Earth-2. Right. Right. So you had the whole Justice Society Earth 2 series, which ended shortly after Rebirth. And then Earth 1, they just announced a new graphic novel for, which is the Green Lantern Earth 1 graphic novel, which I've read all of the Earth 1 graphic novels. They're they're almost across the board good. And that leads into something that and we talked about Marvel rebooting. It's almost so I, I don't want to spend any time talking about it because I don't care. I guess that's horrible. I've always been a Marvel fan. I, I X-Men was my go-to book. I've long well, since abandoned. And X-Men in general, because of the whole rights issue in the movies. And then minimizing mutants. Is and... affecting the comics. Well, uh, we've always suspected it. Nobody's ever been able... Nobody has ever come out and said that. But I mean, the X-Men... So we've seen this across the board outside of just the comics. In Marvel versus Capcom, to bring it into video game terms, Infinite... Mm-hmm. Marvel versus Capcom started off as X-Men versus Street Fighter. It's always been X-Men. Well, it started out as X-Men, the fighting game. Well, yeah, yeah. But you know <laughs> what I mean? Um, but as it evolved, it always had a very, you know, half and half X-Men. Yeah, there was, there was your big Marvel character. Yeah, you know, Spider-Man, even, Hulk, Cap, Thor, and then even, the X-Men. Yeah, and even as, as you know, recent as Marvel versus Capcom 3, Wolverine, Magneto, all those guys. Uh, I mean, who who doesn't love Berserker Barrage? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but in Marvel versus Capcom Infinite, there's not one X-Man. Not one. Yeah, so this has got to be rights related. So what's very frustrating about that is you're talking about a game that has no ties to the comics, no ties to the movies, and... You've got these beloved characters who are not there, who are not there, and it makes no sense, and we're all suffering. So, well, so at the same time that Marvel is rebooting its line again, DC announced something very interesting on Friday as well. They're doing a prestige line, their kind of black line, if you will, like the Star Wars Black series, where they're going to get these really high quality creative teams and tell very distinct stories. It's almost, from what we can tell, like they're giving creators back Elseworlds. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like Elseworlds. And so Elseworlds, for those who haven't been lifelong DC fans, was this idea that during the late 90s, early 2000s, creators had the freedom to kind of tell their own stories or their own versions. They could twist the the formula a bit. So that's where we got Red Sun, Red Sun. Gotham by Gaslight. Yep. You know, there's, there's all of these Elseworlds and it's, stories. I mean, it makes so much sense because a these are characters that people know. Mm-hmm. You don't need to explain Batman to the general person, even. Well, but this goes back to why the DC movies don't work and the Marvel movies do, right? So Superman is not a story about Clark Kent. Superman is a story about a superpowered alien. Spider Man is a story about a kid from Brooklyn coming of age. Right, So there's the differences in their storytelling methods. In a comic book, I think it's much more interesting to see superpower stories. And and Marvel's been struggling with their slice-of-life formula that always was their bread and butter. Um, In movies, it's much harder to care about 
a movie about a guy with powers versus a movie about a kid from you know just across the Holland Tunnel who's struggling with high school and well, I mean that's that's been the whole and it's not as true as it used to be, but that was the whole Marvel DC thing. Yeah, Marvel focused on people, relatable um, struggles of life. They were relatable. Well, they were the minority comic shop. Yeah. I mean, they were not the and big DC dog. focused on, look at this neat power. Look at this neat power. Look at this guy. I mean. Yeah. And the galaxy's in danger and everybody has to save them. The Avengers, as much as they save Earth all the time, most of the time stayed on Earth. The Justice League goes everywhere. Right? And it, with the exception of Batman. Batman's maybe the one member of the DC stable that is kind of a guy. Right? But his superpower is that he's rich. Right. You know, so he's just, he's still not completely relatable, but kind of relatable. Whereas these other characters are larger than life. They're mythological creatures running around in these worlds. Gods among us. Very much so. Um, and so can Marvel figure out how to fix this formula? I'm not sure. And Bendis, since you brought it up, has been the linchpin of the Marvel formula. I mean, he did the whole Ultimate Marvel Universe, which was... Successful for a few years. Yeah. Um, and then led to Miles Morales, the other Spider-Man. and So he's added a lot to the Marvel Universe. The question is, how much is going to get stripped out? And how much of this was actually in planning before he announced he was leaving? Yeah. Because maybe it's their chance to kind of break bad with the Bendis view of the world. And maybe we'll get some really good storytelling out of it. But there's reboot fatigue setting in for me. Well, and I think I think we haven't seen many else worlds, so to speak, from Marvel. I don't know if they've no, done many of Marvel, those. I mean, they've done uh, Marvel sixteen oh two, and they did for a little while, and, and but, a couple others. But I think that's something that would honestly help them. Let they, creators just kind of play with the characters. Yeah, but are there enough elements of the characters that are not tied to their genesis that they could play with effectively? Yeah, I don't know. So. I haven't read Marvel comics since the mighty Avengers when I first started reading comics <laughs> and you know, that whole area. Yeah, I, I wish, and I, like I said, I spent decades as a, a Marvel fan. Um, I want to like Marvel again. I'd love to understand what the hell's going on in X-Men, but I looked at an issue well, recently and I was like, I, I know all these people, but none of them look like anybody I recognize. And they brought all of the old former X-Men over so into the current universe. And that's now one of the ideas of that I actually and, liked is yeah. that they kind of pulled the teenage X-Men out of time and dropped them in the current Marvel timeline. But that's problematic because time doesn't flow normally in comic books. Well, and Marvel's never done a reboot on the scale that DC has. I mean, like crisis or zero hour or, right. and, and that is a thing that DC struggled with for years. I mean, even with Battle World, they kind of got rid of all the all you know. Well, they the were bottle episodes and... while they moved the majority of Marvel's production facilities to California. Yeah, I mean that's what that was about. It was a it was a marketing gimmick while they had to suspend their comic book line for a year. Yeah. Well, let's not uh, dwell on this too much longer. Maybe okay. we'll see after the reboot. But we have uh, one more tangent to get into. It's not one. You know, it's not one. Hey, I'm going to focus most of this next episode. So okay. I'll get through this fast. All right. But, so you get, you just fly through them. I'll, I'll just sit here and drink. Oh, good. Um, so we got a notice. I think the, the tension was building up. We, we got that Nintendo direct in January or February where they mm -hmm. said, here's a port, here's a port, here's a port, dark souls, Hyrule warriors, donkey Kong. 
But hype was building up again. We didn't really know what Nintendo was doing this year. We still really don't know what they're doing past July. Um, well, we've got a few But titles. we've got a couple things. We've yeah. got a new WarioWare game. Which well, it's not just a new WarioWare. It's the it's, best of all the WarioWare Yeah, games. so WarioWare has been on multiple platforms. Uh, from the It started on the GBA, but we had uh, WarioWare Touched on the DS. WarioWare um, Twisted with Twisted, the little gyro yep, sensor. With the gyro sensor. Um, we also had... Uh, we just had Wario Micro games. We had Mega Micro games. Yeah. The Wii one, which I still think is hilarious, and we got the not so good one on the Wii U, um, which was really like a fifteen dollar demo disc. Um, <laughs> but we're getting like a a combination of all those games uh, for 3ds. And if you've never ever played a WarioWare game, oh, you are missing out on life. This is uh, Wario is a a unique carrier ca- carrier character. character. Yeah, and if you're thinking like Wario back in when they were knockoff Mario Brothers games, no. Nintendo completely reinvented Wario with the WarioWare games. Yeah, he's got a whole cast of characters um and it's it's they're just all funny. It's it's fun. So, anyhow, coming out for 3DS sometime this year. Um again, Nintendo's still sort of supporting the 3DS. Well, they announced a 3DS game for 2019 release. Yeah, that's just mind-boggling. <laughs> um, well, the, the platform's got legs. Till 2019? We were kind of thinking they were going to phase it out this year. I think they kind of are. <sighs> I mean, when the Wii U was still getting some third-party games... They're still getting virtual console games from Konami. That's true. <laughs> um, so, so WarioWare... Uh, Dark Souls was announced last direct coming to the Wii in May, but they announced in this direct, there's going to be a Dark Souls amiibo. We'll come back to this. Um, which I pre-ordered and Sean was unable to because he's not an amiibo sniper like I am. Um, why does Dark Souls need an amiibo? Well, and the funny part is the amiibo gives you access to an emote that is built (laughs) into the game on other platforms. If you want to do Praise the Sun, you can do Praise the Sun without a toy. I still think it's cool. Uh, absolutely. Um, I just, such a weird choice. I just wish they'd give us an Onion Bro amiibo. Onion Bro? Is You're not a Dark, a Dark Souls, Souls thing? I know, I haven't played the first one yet. Oh my so. god. Well, you'll play it once it's on once Switch. Once it's on Switch, I'll play. Um, next, Splatoon 2 is getting a $20 single player expansion. Which is based around the typical villains of the Splatoon universe. The Octolings. But they don't appear to be villains in this. Splatoon are squids, and they fight the Octolings, which are octopi. Um, And then this one, you take the place of... So first off, Splatoon 2 is a multiplayer game. Largely. Um, There is a single-player campaign. To teach you how to play the game. But I don't think anybody... I've never bought Splatoon for the single player. It's fun, but it's not what I'm spending 20 no. hours, 30 hours playing. So I, I'm i excited for this, but I don't know if it makes sense. Um, I, I like this idea because it actually gives me a reason to play Splatoon 2. Because I have it, and I've kind so of So you're played... a fan of the series, but you don't like playing the multiplayer mode? No, I don't and... like playing with people on the internet. I, yeah. I just, I'm old. Well, for people like Kyle, listener Kyle... Um, he hates, he sold his copy of Super Mario Odyssey because he doesn't like single player games, he's decided. 
Okay. So this is not for him. Well, so he should go hang out at EA headquarters. He probably should. (laughs) Anyhow, $20 um, sometime this year, probably summertime. Um, I don't know. I I love the world of Splatoon 2. Mm-hmm. Or just Splatoon, just the characters, the lore. It's the a post-apocalyptic stuff. It, yeah, I mean, if you want to dive, in, it's one of those games where you can totally gloss over it and still have a good time. But if you want to, you can get into the characters and everything. And um, I just, it's, it's, just, I, I, I feel weird about this, and that's weird because I, I don't know if it makes sense. Yeah, but, we'll see. But I like, I like Nintendo supporting their games. Post-launch. Post-launch. Without having to churn out another full game. And, you know, this may mean that we'll get further support for Splatoon after this goes. Well, and to be fair, it's a single-player expansion that once you complete it, unlocks the Octolings. For multiplayer. For for multiplayer. Right. And we don't know what that means. Is it purely cosmetic? We don't know. Maybe they have special abilities or different weapons. We don't know. We don't know. Okay, uh, lastly, just a little quick note here. Mario Um, Tennis is coming. Mario Tennis is coming. (laughs) Mario Tennis Aces. Um, they announced Nintendo announced this essentially like a little indie title for the Switch. It's it's a. They're not pulling this one off. Just go no, ahead. Just uh, everybody knows by now. Smash Brothers is coming to Switch this year, and we don't know if it's a port or not. We think it's a new game. So uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this episode because you want to talk about it next time. But here are a couple notes that people have made regarding <laughs> whether it's a port. Or a new title. Now, we've been told they were going to do a Mario Kart 8 deluxe sort of scenario where they take Smash 4 and put it on Switch. And again, I think everybody would be perfectly happy by mm-hmm. doing that. Um, however, Nintendo seemed to say, hey, our hype train over here is getting kind of dusty. Um, yeah, let's just leak this. Let's, let's pull it out of the station. And they released a trailer... That was with the Inklings from Splatoon. It actually was a version of the Splatoon launch title or title, trailer. Trailer, yeah. um, and it, it's already become a meme because this uh, the Inkling girl looks up and there's a giant fiery death ball of the Smash logo. Which, if you're a squid, that's scary. It is terrifying. <laughs> um, I mean, Smash 4, you know, everybody got a nicely mailed letter, you know, with a wax Please come to the it. tournament. Please come to the Smash tournament. Yeah. And in this this one, it's just like, all will come to Smash. Um, anyhow, we saw silhouettes of characters, some very recognizable, some we don't know. I don't think Nintendo would pull that trailer out if it was a port. Because if they do that, and then the next video we get says it's all the stuff you loved about smash four with inklings. I think this is a full fledged sequel. Um, Hmm. and not only that Sakurai, Mm -hmm. the loving creator who works himself to death, pray for Sakurai, um, (laughs) has announced he's been working this game on this game in secret for the past few years. Um, again, it was just a port. He wouldn't have spent three years. It was just a port. We wouldn't, they didn't Bam- spend three Bam- years Bando- porting Mario Kart. Bando Nam- Namco. Ban- Bandai Namco. Thank you. I can't talk anymore. That's going to be problematic. We still have a whole show to do. Smash 4. Um, 
if it was a port, it would be like a, a year transition. But we don't know. And the thing that leads me to think it might be a port or an augmented port is the release date. The one thing they did say is coming in 2018. Smash for Wii U launched in 2014, Sean. Okay. They've had four years to work on it. It's not like Smash 4 came out like two years ago. No, that's fair. So, I mean, it's, I don't know. Anyhow. But we still don't have a launch date for Metroid 4, so I don't care. Yeah, we don't. Um, but I think we'll see that at E3. I think E3 is going to be pretty big this year. I yeah. think we're, but do you think between Smash and Metroid Prime 4, do you think those are the same as Breath of the Wild and Mario Odyssey for 2018? For you and I, yes. For the average Nintendo player, probably not. Okay. Smash is. No, no question about Smash. Smash is the big title that everybody will kill themselves over. Right. Because even well, non... That's not, that's not true, though. Non-competitive... I mean, players like smash because it's fun to play with friends i think i think that was true even up till brawl okay but with the wii u as small well, the wii u was divisive for its own reasons right i i just didn't feel like when smash came out for wii u that people were that excited okay but we'll move on we'll talk about that later because i would do want to move on to our next topic um actually our main topic our main topic so, let's go ahead and get into that. So, wow, that was not great ducking at the end there. What are uh, you doing, man? You're losing it. It's this new app. Blame it on the app. Man. <laughs> so, pressure. Pressure. Uh, we're talking about Dig Dug. This week, we're going to talk about games. And we talk about games on a lot of fronts of microtransactions and uh, RPGs versus action games and first-person shooters versus strategy games. Um, but this week, I want to talk on a little broader scale. Okay. What, what brought this on? Um, so what, this, what brought this on, and I don't want to delve too much into the politics, but it was twofold. There were two factors that made me chose this topic this week. One... Uh, due to the unfortunate events that we've been seeing for the past few years with school shootings, the topic of do video games make people violent always crops up during those times. Because it's a distraction. It's a distraction. It's an external point of blame to say this is why. This is what. Because doing we need it. to explain why somebody does something just so unfathomable. Right. Right. That's one fold. The other reason I brought this up was I've been playing a game i think i talked about it last podcast called celeste Mm -hmm. celeste is a brutal platformer that's incredibly difficult and for some what it was told for me from one of my friends watching me play it was that looks so hard so stressful i don't know how you can play that um and i'll link into the show notes but um and i didn't really have a way of crystallizing why I play those games until I kind of read this and I was like, yes, this is why 
one of the reasons I play super difficult platformers is I don't know about you, Sean, but sometimes when I'm in my own head, especially at work, I'm 30 different places at once jumping back and forth. Um, well, I know I never experience any of this in my <laughs> job. Um, I get to know, take one task and do it all the way to completion all the you know, time. Multitasker thinking what I'm doing tomorrow, thinking about what I'm doing in 15 minutes. And I just think, I think all the time I do, mm-hmm. but a game like Celeste allows me, it, it focuses my brain because i have to use all of my brain to play this difficult game i don't have time to get distracted in order to get to the next screen so i think it's interesting you you mentioned celeste which is a platformer but if you think about games that are notoriously hard and have a reputation for it like dark souls which we've been talking a lot about lately what forces people to pay attention to it and to really focus on it is not the gameplay. It's the strategy. It, it's the puzzle element. It's the, I have to notice and observe that I need to figure out how to get through this. Well, not only that, and the point I was trying to get across was it allows me to shut down those external distractions where I'm worried about what I'm going to do at work tomorrow or being stressed out in life where my mind is to what to your point singularly focused on yeah. doing the game and that's a point of relaxing it's a way of relaxing um well it, but it, to your point yeah you're using your brain for puzzle solving or that was the other topic i wanted to go into was uh games give players a sense of agency in the world too when often people feel without any control in their lives right uh, there's there's also another element to it that I th- I think we we can't overlook, which is the fact that it it doesn't just provide a distraction from your life, it doesn't just give you agency. There's actually consequence that you can immediately see. Right in and life, I'll... there's so few decisions we make unless they're super drastic, where we immediately see the outcome. Right, and for for me. Um, back when I had time to do that more than I do today, um, for me, it was often about how does the game work? I can figure out the logic of a game. I can't tell you how your brain works yeah. or why you make decisions or why my wife is upset about this thing or why this person down the street decided to turn left out of nowhere without signaling. Or why my boss is in a bad mood and it's affecting my day. And, and sure, you can figure those things out sometimes, but overall, you have this controlled sphere of influence and you understand the rules of the simulation or you figure them out. And you talked about problem solving. And, and so when we talk about problem solving, I think it needs to go beyond just the immediate... I flipped this switch, that door Yeah, opens. and we're not talking puzzle games. Like you said, you're figuring out the game's logic or mechanics or essentially just how the game operates. And that in itself can be rewarding. That's why games, going to mention it, but Breath of the Wild are so rewarding because there's so many different things you can do mm-hmm. that once you figure out how the world works, you're basically on top at that point. Well, and a good game continues to introduce new mechanics as you master old ones and builds off of that. Easy to mastery. learn, hard to master. Those yes. are the games we talk about. That's why Tetris is a perfect game. Um, <laughs> it's this again. Um, but no, I, I don't I, disagree. Yeah. Uh, but there's another piece to games that I think also don't get considered enough. We, we talk about games being a release for stress. 
I think games actually can introduce stress in a different way. In a constructive or positive way? In many cases. I mean, if you're playing a game and it's causing you stress and it's not in, in a way that you're focusing and, and you're dealing with it, then you probably shouldn't be playing that game, right? It's, it's just like... But in a game like Fire Emblem, mm-hmm. um, your characters have permadeath. And in so that, there's consequences for your choices. In that game, you build up the characters, you get to know them, but if you make the wrong decision in that game... Uh, that I'll, character goes I'll away. I'll even skew away from a Nintendo game for a second. Um, XCOM. Same difference, yeah. What? It's a strategy game. Okay, I'll, I'll get... But not same game. No, but no, you no. invest... In that game, you invest in the characters, their skills, their abilities, and you rely on those characters, and when you when they die, correct me if I'm wrong because I've not played XCOM, you get replaced with a plea. You play none of the games I play. What's wrong with you? This is what makes our podcast great. You play games. I play games. <laughs> I play some, I, games. I play a lot of the same games you play. You play none of the games I play. It's great. <sighs> anyway, this is the stress we were talking about. Yeah, now I'm stressed. Uh, so how, how does this m- focusing help in your thoughts? Um, so I think everybody has their own way of de-stressing. Um, okay. some, some people, knit. some people can read a book. Mm-hmm. Um, some people have their hobbies where they, they essentially work a second job with their hobbies where they're maybe a woodworker or, or they paint a graphic or they artist or a painter, um, mm-hmm. uh, or photography. I mean, uh, you're essentially working a second job. You're producing something. You, you have discipline with your hobbies. Um, it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a release mechanism, kind of let off steam, and I think also with games, a lot of people forget um, that it's a little different now since games are a lot more mainstream. But we still have a sense of community when a game releases like Celeste, mm-hmm. and a lot of people play it all once. You get to hear stories, you get to share your experiences with the game, Breath of the Wild, uh, Horizon people Zero have a Dawn. common basis of understanding. And everybody can kind of come together over one thing as opposed to being divisive about one thing or everything or everything. Um, That's my point of view. Uh, Hmm. So for me, again, and I've used games over the years as a stress release, right? When I was worried about money or I was worried about my job or worried about some project or you know, some relationship with someone. I can just turn that off. Like you said, you focus on the game and through that, it, it's just what I call the, and this is going to probably seem like an illogical leap to you. It's like the bathroom shower effect. Yeah. No, when I you're standing that. in a shower, you come up with these great ideas because guess what you're not doing? You're standing there washing or, or, you know, bathing and conducting hygiene exercises, but your brain is not engaged in that because it's largely automatic. Yeah. And and you're outside of your familiar element because, you know, here you are staying in a shower, washing yourself. And you'll sometimes, at least I do, and I don't know if this is true for everybody, that freedom of activity, right? I'm not thinking about those activities. I know how to do it at this point in my life actually sometimes just lets my mind wander onto new things. Absolutely. And so it can be a source of creativity to take a shower or to go swimming or to go for a run or to cycle, right? Where I, when I'm on a bike and and you know, I'm a cyclist, I do lots of mileage. Most people look at that and go, how could you do 40 or 50 miles? It's boring. And I'm going, I'm not doing 40 or 50 miles when I'm on a bike. 
I've never understood that. I don't know what those people do. I'm sure they do something similar or not, mm-hmm. maybe not cycling, but I, I am certain that people do something. Everybody does something that somebody else thinks is boring Yeah, for fun. Um, but I mean, my body isn't, yes, there's times when you're on a bike and you're climbing a hill and that's all you're thinking about. But most of the time when I'm on a, a bike, I'm looking at the area around me and I'm just letting my mind wander and, and the body is operating like a machine. So I just keep pushing it until it stresses me out. But at the same time, it, it's the same kind of thing I think you're driving at, which is it gives us time to kind of use the hind brain to run what's going on. And, and we let the kind of the frontal lobe, the, the creativity just go. Well, one of the criticisms that I've never really agreed with, but I think this is true for some people is, well, video games are just a, an escape from your responsibilities and real life. And you're just not addressing the real world. And But you can't address the real world all the time. Well, and that's not. Your brain needs a break. It's a muscle. It's not safe. I mean, that's it's almost destructive if you're fully engaged at all times with the stresses of your life. Yeah. Yeah. You need activities that now, if you're playing 18 hours a day, every weekend and not doing anything else to build up your personal life or interact with stay mentally strong or build up your personal relationships or just build as a person, then yeah, I will agree with that argument, but games in general, video game board or not. uh, So you, I think a healthy person in this situation can very easily take it as a relief. Yeah. I think that people who are struggling with their own mental health sometimes can get super focused and lose track of other things. Absolutely. I mean, mean, it's it's like anything. We've seen a lot of stories uh, on the internet of a certain game coming out and people saying, thank you. This helped me. I was Mm -hmm. able to, I was able to go to this world and or experience or whatever and overcome this issue, overcome an issue in my life. Um, Or even process something that happened to me that was similar to something that happened to a character in a game. Right. Um, We've, especially in the last three to five years in the indie scene, have seen a lot of games focus on kind of mental health and, you know, processing trauma and, you know, dealing with difficult situations. And again, we've often told people that you need to figure it out. And we don't often give people the right tools to do it. So when you're using a game as a method of processing your own challenge and and working your way through that puzzle, and then you can take that and apply it to your own life, I think that's the best of all situations. Yeah. Now, there is a dark side, and and, and you brought this up with, with why you kind of walked into this. A lot of this is junk science. A lot of psychology is junk science. Okay, but we talk about are games helpful or hurtful? Well, a game is a tool. Can a wrench kill somebody and fix an engine that saves people from an avalanche? Can books be full of thoughtful process or can they be full of propaganda? Yes, I mean, exactly. Yeah. So a game is a tool. It's, a, it's an entertainment outlet for many, many people. And when we say, are they harmful? Is it hurtful? It's the same thing that we, we, we talked about in our D&D episode, right? In the 80s, there was this stigma 
around Dungeons and Dragons and role-playing games and what are these weird cultish people doing in their basements pretending to escape reality and kill dragons or do bad things as evil characters. Oh, I'm going to hate where I'm going with this next one. But that same impression from the outside could be said of a fairly popular religious movement in the Roman Empire that yielded Christianity. People from the outside didn't understand why these people were meeting in secret. Well, because society didn't accept what they were doing. right? And, and I don't want to make this about religion. I'm trying to draw a parallel. Uh, when you're not somebody who understands or uses these tools, it's often hard to understand them. And especially when it's something where they're bright and colorful and there are a lot of people with impulse control challenges, a lot of children who become obsessed, uh, a lot of adults who become obsessed, and to an unhealthy level. And I think you brought up children, and my concern is with children. And again, this is unfounded, and I don't know what studies that are out there, but I'm going to say is we're exposing children to screens at an early age, and even games. I mean, they make these touch well, we games. we teach through games now. Yeah. Um, and again, I don't know. The science is out on that. I, I don't know if it's constructive or not, um, or if it's building a dependency, or... So I think in, it's doing all of that. Impacting social skills and, yeah. and all that stuff. But again, it's about any tool. Put it in the right context, used in the right hands. You get... But yeah, it's, it's you're right. It's not the device it's not the application it's when we're introducing it who we're introducing it to how we monitor how we socialize it right right because i can give you i mean we all have students of a certain age right all i'm using i hate using absolutes most of us have a strong opinion about the game oregon trail or where in the world is carmen santiago yeah these are educational games these were early educational games and they were not used as an excuse to for the teacher to not teach they were used to supplement information that was taught in classes that is still happening in classrooms today and you know one of these podcasts we probably should bring one of our many educator friends onto the show and kind of talk about how they use games and how games are important in their or not important whether they prefer not to use them um my view has always been that I learn more by stepping outside myself and setting to the side because I can analyze your problems easier than I can analyze my own. Yeah. that Yeah. Absolutely. And that, that's human interaction, right? Put me in a game and I work through some of the same challenges. Okay. Give me an outlet for my aggression. If, whether that's boxing. So let's... Or, let's- Let's go into that because that's a that's a part of this discussion that mm-hmm. we led with is aggression, um, and that leads to the discussion of violent games. Because what <laughs> I I have a, a probably not very popular opinion, and and I try to keep my personal opinions like this out of the show. I think that we are building a society that is not recognizing that human beings have a need for aggressive behavior that we're wired that way for survival. And while we are culturally trying to say we've evolved past it, we haven't, we really haven't. Well, I mean, and that's what, what I think is hilarious. You brought that up and I, I don't know if I was talking to you or somebody else. We, we talk about the history of mm-hmm. human, human society. society. Yeah. 
And people don't like to hear, but it's a bloodbath. Well, yeah. I mean, it is, it's not. It still is. It's not gone away. As Americans, I think we're often isolated from a lot of the bad things, especially as you and I are both white middle-class Americans. Right. White middle-class male Americans, right? Not a bad thing or a good thing, just a factor. But we don't experience that kind of direct violence in our lives. So when we hear about it and when it's amplified, we have a visceral reaction that maybe somebody who lives in a dangerous area doesn't necessarily have because their survival instincts desensitize them to some extent. I don't think that, this is my opinion, I don't think that a rational, adjusted human being fails to understand the difference between a virtual game as it's played today and reality. I, I think even with a five-year-old, if you give them a game where they push a button and something bad happens on the screen, that if you ask them, they're, they're going to be able to tell you that that's not real. Yeah. Right? And we socialize our children when we raise them as parents in our society to understand that violence as a response to most things is not is inappropriate. Right. So when I see these conversations come up about game violence and does it make a killer out of people and, you know, it's training our children to, to, to be murderers or not care about death and violence. I have not encountered in my life and, and, you know, granted I'm not quite half a century old yet, but I've been here a while and I've grown through the entire evolution of video games. I haven't met anybody that I felt was driven to violence because of a video game. Yeah. If they were driven to violence and they played video games, to draw those is not a correlation. I mean, it's it, it's not causation for me to go out and shoot somebody because I got really angry at Mario Kart. Oh, well, that blue shell <laughs> has destroyed a many of friendships. But, yeah, and it absolutely <laughs> has. And it, it has resulted in a number of controllers violently Wrong. being yeah. smashed. Um, but, but the point is that a rational, adjusted, socialized person who is handling things in their lives generally doesn't take that step. So a question I have for you and a question I guess I have for myself is um, with with media in general. Mm-hmm. What's um, the agenda? No, no, no. That's what I was going to go. But we we see these superhero stories. We see these video games. Uh, where the solution, you know, we see these young adult teen novels where the solution is through punching, essentially. Or but fighting. it always has been. Right. Again, You're- we as human beings, most of us rational human beings, understand the difference between a story and reality. And when we don't, then it's up to those of us as parents and members of our society to see those who are struggling and try and identify a way to help. And there's not always a way to help. Let me be fair. It's not that it's society's fault that these people make these choices. Well, no, I wasn't arguing that those stories um, now glamorizing them or highlighting the inherent danger in Harry Potter's solution to the problem, you know, well, or you no. know, Starship Troopers makes you want to go, you know, kill people in another country, or even you know, a video game. There is an agenda behind how they present that information when they tell you a news story. 
Anybody in the media will tell you this. Anybody who's written for a newspaper and have gone through an editing cycle has seen the way that stories are told in the media. Now, don't get me wrong. I was an entertainment media writer. I, I never wrote heavy crime stories. I didn't write about, you know, important decisions that people made. I wrote about video games. But I had to be aware when I was talking to editors and people who didn't understand video games that I was careful to couch what I was saying around their preconceived notions and how they thought the story needed to be told. We are now seeing an industry that thrives on discord and dissent and, you know, excitement. And and we talked about this earlier. Again, I'm sure there's somebody out there who will disagree with me if they even listen to this. In statistics, in modeling for risk, we have this concept that most people don't accept when it affects them personally called a black swan event. And a black swan event is when something just the right combination of things happen that something very, very un unlikely and unusual occurs when you're looking at a series of events and their outcomes. I don't want to minimize in any way the pain and loss and anguish that somebody touched by one of these violent events is processing. I also want to make sure people put it in the right context which is an, a sick person is sick regardless of how they got there. And when they made that choice to do that horrible thing, we can try and do root cause analysis all day long. But I will guarantee you there is no one thing that made that person do that. Whether it's an abusive parent or you know a bad history of a of sexual abuse or mental illness or their religion or the video games they play. People are not binary. Games are a tool. They don't have just one effect on people. We're very complex animals and how we respond to things determines who we become. And so do I think that there's a note of caution that we should talk about around are we really overly portraying or overly glamorizing violence as a solution to problems? Yeah, I think probably we are because it gets a reaction out of people. Well, the only other thing I wanted to mention or fit into the conversation and we've talked on previous episodes was just more stories about solving through nonviolence, um, whether it be the mainstream mechanisms of video games or superhero films, where we see the conflict resolved not through beating the bad guy, or in the case, especially with let's let's tie it back into Black Panther, is mm -hmm. uh, you know, relating why they did what they did and <laughs> calm down. Um, understand, like you said, we're not always going to understand a sick individual. Mm -mm. Um, people are not always logical animals, but I think what we need to understand in this conversation is it's not one thing or the other, and we need to have a conversation. 
Mm-hmm. And it's not, we're not going to figure it out overnight. And like you said, those people that made those decisions, there may no be rational solution because it's an irrational situation. Now, let me counter this. Yes. There are a lot of people who say, well, that's all fine and well, but we have to do something because I feel powerless right now because this horrible thing has happened and I need to understand why it happened and how I can prevent it from happening again. And we're talking about video games, but this this extends into another very popular conversation in America right now as well, um, which I'm not going to bring into scope on this. But that is a very human thing. The snake bit me, so I want to kill the snake, right? This person made a bad choice and did something horrible, so I want to make sure that everything that I think caused him to do that is... Punished or removed or Or limited in some way. If we can honestly analyze these things and say, look, there's way too much violence in games. There's way too much pummeling and much less problem solving. I think these are valid criticisms. However, we're in an industry that is driven by player demand. And there are games out there that are problem-solving games and puzzle-solving, and they're about humans, and they're about feelings, and they're about things other than violence. But here's the cold, hard truth. They don't sell. People don't buy them. A lot of people, not everybody, I mean, you and I are exceptions in some ways. Other people we know, everybody's an exception to this rule in some way or another. But if you look at the mainstream solution... I need something simple that I can sit there. It's a visceral removal from my daily stress. I have some agency in my world and I can get this strong emotion out in a way that doesn't damage anybody, but these virtual actors, it's healthy when done in the right context. Right. So we can claim that games are the problem, but you know, it's very hard for me to accept that. Yeah. I think that's where we'll leave it. I think it's a good point to end on, Sean. Some of us just want to come home and play Street Puncher 5 starring Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, good points across. And and again, I think. And this is a heavier subject than we've dealt with for most of our podcasts. I think it is, but I think I've been thinking about, about it a lot lately. And. Well, I've been thinking about this since I first wrote a blog post for the Dispatch that I immediately had to retract. But I, th- I think uh, it after hot coffee happened, is we are like you said, like it's a human reaction to just say this is the cause, this is the because root. then it's boxed up really neatly, and I and don't have nice, to think about everything. Yeah, and when you start thinking about things and realizing there is no quick solution, and for any solution, it may be a compromise. For both any good solution is a compromise. I, I think the old line is that when you go to the negotiating table, if anybody walks away happy, you failed. Yeah. That's a good good point. So we will wrap up that package in a not so nice wow. easy. That was really deep and kind of dark. Hey, but I think, hey, that's why people if if that's our niche in the podcast realm, that's it. We are not the grim dark podcast. It's just not us. <laughs> <laughs> or not. I don't think it was grim and dark. I, no, I think it isn't. 
what we're saying is it's not it's not as it's simple. not black or white. Yeah, it's not simple. And and games can be a very good tool for re- removing stress. But I don't want to dive back into that. So let's yeah. let's move into our feedback. Yeah, our back feeds, as you call it. I call it back feeds. So uh, for this podcast, before season two, we did a four-hour live stream show on uh, Twitch. On Twitch, and the criticism or actually the feedback the back feeds was generally positive you guys want us to do it again so uh if you haven't seen it it's actually on the twitch page as yeah. one of the past cl- past shows we need to oh speaking of that we'll make a mental note right now we need to revisit our twitch page and kind of clean that up yeah it's it's, it's a little some uh, love it's a little messy um and i'm looking at rehauling our website too um okay so but thank you for everybody that attended that live show. We're going to do a next one, and I think we've decided part of that is going to be Sean playing um, Donkey Kong Jungle Beat, one of the greatest games with one of the greatest input controllers, the Donkey Kong Bongo set for GameCube. Um, and you guys can all watch him squirm in misery as he plays one of the greatest platformers of all time. Hmm. <laughs> Um, and then lastly, Sean, we have one dumb thing. Oh, the one dumb thing this week. I so, uh, we kind of bridged on it when we were up at the top. Here's my one dumb thing. GameStop exclusive limited edition Amiibos. Exclusive Amiibos in general. Yeah. Are not fun. Well, if you're a collector, I mean, it's hard. Even if, even if you're not a collector. But I'm not a collector. And there's, okay, so we're talking specifically about the, the, the Dark Souls Amiibo, which I don't buy every Amiibo. I buy the ones that are interesting to me. So, like, I have the cloud, both clouds and both Bayonettas, and one of each of those was an exclusive. So you had to kind of hunt for them. I had to buy them from GameStop, actually. And, and if you've dealt with GameStop's website, oh, it's from 10 years ago. I mean, it's horrible. It's never been updated, and it still runs the same. And uh, So I went on... Shortly after, I, I was busy when the Nintendo Direct aired, and I didn't get to it until the following morning, which was this morning. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and pre-order this Amiibo, because I'm sure there's enough quantities, because this is a well-loved franchise. I'm sure they'll make enough. Nope, out, uh, sold out, and only available through GameStop, GameStop. So, which means I'm now driven to the secondary market if I want to get one. So- and frankly, it's an Amiibo that does praise the sun. And that's it, as far as we know. So, what what is Nintendo's strategy with Amiibo? Because I thought, you know... Well, originally just, it was supposed to augment games. Right, but are they going to stay in this market? Is this market profitable for them, do you think? I have no idea. I mean, they churn out characters. But no, that's kind of died off. I mean, we're getting Amiibos maybe once every four to five months now. Well, I'm not sure what's going on. There's some Japanese Amiibos that haven't come over. That but, they've been putting out, like the Monster Hunter ones, and that's few and far between. But you're though. right; there's um, that's not a huge a number of them. The only amiibos that are in the pipeline are this one and the Splatoon two. Not true. What Detective Pikachu? Oh, good point. Yep. I don't know, but, but they haven't announced any Kirby's no. or Toad to go with Captain Toad's revised port. Yeah. Or any of the, you know... Well, hey, hey, buddy, I hope you're sitting down in your seat because they're going to do a whole new line of Smash Brother Amiibos. Well, that, that makes 70,000 characters. That makes sense, though. It, it really does. does. 
and they're all going to be a specific store exclusive. This one is a Dollar General Amiibo <laughs> exclusive. Dollar General can't afford them. They're like $15 a piece. You can't put that at Dollar General. Uh, anyway, so that's my one dumb thing for this week is this exclusivity around collector's items, which are not really collector's items. They're meant to be toys that augment the game. Yeah. Um, and here I am, a you know, 40 plus year old man whining about not being able to buy a toy. <laughs> well, when you put it that way, um, so that's it for this week. Make sure you follow us on Twitter. Some of you guys don't know our Twitter handle. It's the number four, the word score seven pongs. We're on Facebook at four score seven pongs. We're probably going to do our next live event under that banner. We still talked about the marathon. I think that's happening. We've still got the planning. We just need to find the time. We've got the technical stuff worked out. Yeah, we do. Uh, we drilled some holes in my basement <laughs> floor to get some uh, some Cat 5 down here um, yeah. so that the streaming quality is a little more consistent. I think we ran, yeah, we ran the, into the several... The stream issues. quality may not be more consistent, but the streaming video will be. Yeah, good point. Good point. So, we've got we've got things. You know, uh, we're both working individuals, so we're doing this for fun. So bear with us as we come up with things. And I think what Sean and I would both appreciate is if you just tell a friend if they might be interested in our podcast. If if you don't think like I'm not telling you to push to some of your friends. If they're like, hey, do you want to hear two nerds talk about? star trek for an hour and a half and about how the klingons looked in this version i'm not telling you to push that on your phone well, we didn't do that we did do that um not for an hour and a half <laughs> maybe an hour <laughs> but i'm saying if you think a friend might be interested in this podcast or what we do send them a link uh consider that your payment to us and for all this wonderful free content you're consuming well, and one other thing uh we 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 solicit input on not just our performance as amazing podcast hosts, award-winning, but also if there's a specific topic or a content area that you think you'd love to hear us babble on about for like 35 to 40 minutes, feel free to send it our way and we might consider you. Yeah, absolutely. If there's something going on that you'd like us to talk about, I mean, I think Sean has a wealth of Pointless. historical knowledge. No, I think, I think, <laughs> He's um, calling me old indirectly there. No, you you appreciate history as a whole. That's true. That's very true. So, um, and I bring the nerd. You bring forward. the human element. I don't. I wouldn't consider myself human. Well, that's, that's where you're wrong, buddy. Um, but yeah, we we would love to hear what you'd let us. What you would want us to hear? I can't even say it. What, okay. What until, next time, until next time. He's just babbling. Um, see you next week, uh, or two or two. Oh!